before we read our scripture for this morning, it's my privilege to introduce you to our speaker and candidate for the pastor for discipleship position, Josh Casey. Uh, Josh currently serves as the North Campus Pastor uh, at Parkview Church in North Liberty, where he lives uh, with his wife, Stacy, and their three daughters, Emma, Elena, and Evangeline. Uh, as most of you know, this search process has been going on for several months, and so it's very exciting to now be at this stage where uh, you all get to meet Josh and hear from him as he opens God's word. Personally, I'm very excited about the prospect of Josh joining our team and investing in all of you. He is a godly and gifted pastor. He is uh, deeply committed to the centrality of the gospel. He's creative. He is passionate about God's word and seeing Christ formed in others. Um, and just as a reminder, there's another opportunity for you to continue getting to know him this afternoon. We have an open forum at 1.30 uh, right here back in this room. It's also going to be online for those who are joining us from home. We'll be live streaming that as well. And, and that's another chance to hear a little more about Josh's life and ministry. His wife Stacy will be with us and she'll share a little of her spiritual journey. Uh, and then primarily it's just a time for you all to ask questions uh, about Josh and his ministry and his uh, vision for disciple making at Stonebridge. Uh, and then we're going to follow that with a, a, a special congregational meeting this Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m., which is also going to be right here in the bridge and also live streamed uh, as well, where we're going to, as a congregation for our membership at Stonebridge, uh, vote on whether to call Josh as our pastor for discipleship. And so be praying as we discern this together as a congregation uh, be praying for Josh and Stacy. Uh, be praying for Parkview and, and for all of us. Um, uh, it's a very exciting process. And now as we uh, turn our attention to God's word, I invite you to find your Bibles and make your way to Psalm chapter 1. Our scripture reading is from Psalm 1 this morning. And if you are able, I invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. You may be seated. morning. Thank you. Uh, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Uh, thank you for the uh, the glowing introduction there. Um, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, it's just wonderful to be here. It's just such such great joy and honor to be here with you, worshiping together, um, be able to uh, have the opportunity to uh, open up God's Word and 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 uh, meditate on it together here. I've uh, I've just thoroughly enjoyed the process of of the candidating um, and meeting many of you even before today. Uh, just a wonderful, loving people. That's just been really a treat. Every single every single time we've had a conversation, I've just been encouraged in one way or another, um, and it's been real great. Um, to, to be there. My girls uh, who, uh, who aren't here right now, but um, and my wife uh, have just uh, we had a, a sweet time in the, in the nine o'clock service. And uh, yeah, look forward to the opportunity of worshiping more together, um, physically together uh, in the days ahead. One of my greatest joys is, uh, is the church uh, and, uh, and being a part of the church, but even more so than that is, is looking into the Word of God with, uh, with, uh, with fellow believers just to drink deeply of the waters uh, that are there. So let's do that um, today here. I know you're already open in Psalm 1. Uh, stay there in Psalm 1. Anything outside of this, they'll be up on the screen for you. I just want you to sit there and meditate on this section of Scripture here. Um, just a little bit of, of, of my background as we get into this is I was born and raised in Nebraska, um, and uh, even so, I was not, uh, you know, first uh, in love with football or did I participate much in football there. I know that might be, you'd think, what, what is this? Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy who got kicked out because football does not run in my veins. Um, we're not talking about who I cheer for, just I didn't play football. Um, but uh, one thing that I did do that I got into uh, pretty, pretty quickly as a, you know, in, in high school was, uh, was hockey, which was a strange one. That's not a big thing in, in Nebraska, but I loved hockey. And I played uh, a lot of roller hockey. Uh, and then I went to, when I went to college, played, um, played like intramural. This is all intramural stuff. I'm not amazing at this at all. You'll find out here real soon. Um, is that I played uh, ice hockey. So I was a goalie, and so moving to ice hockey was way easier to goaltend than that. I was like way worse uh, when we got there. But I, I eventually uh, had this hobby, all the gear, everything. It was really, really fun. Um, and uh, when we moved to Iowa, I actually joined the, uh, the Cedar Rapids uh, league that's up here at the, where the Rough Riders play and, and played quite a bit there. So just a, a data, uh, a piece of data stat for your information here is that you can look this up online. Um, that statistically, a couple years ago, I was the worst goalie in the D-League uh, so, so I wasn't the worst goalie. There was an E-League, but I think those guys were probably actually better than me. Um, but uh, but uh, yeah, in the, in the fourth tier down, uh, that's pretty rough. So uh, another data point here is you could probably find some of my uh, hockey gear that I got rid of six months later uh, after that stat came out. You'll find that your local played against sports here. It's real great. Uh, I, would, I would suggest not getting those pads. I think they're cursed. Uh, it couldn't, couldn't have been me. Uh, but one of the things you see is you're the goalie. You get to see the whole game being played quite, uh, you know, differently than when you're in the middle of it, um, one of the skaters. But you could see this as a goalie. You could see this as a player. You could see this uh, as a fan even if you watch sports. That there's, there's sometimes that, that athlete that sticks out. And you're like, that guy's different. That gal's different. They're doing something. They're, they're, they're at a different level here. Uh, in hockey, it's that, uh, the term that we, that we use is hockey sense. They have this hockey sense. They have this field of vision that seems to be wider than others. They anticipate things more than others do. They're in the right place. They're doing the right thing at the right time, and they, they just rack up all these wonderful stats, and you think, how does this person know this? Well, they have a hockey sense. Now, uh, there's been some research that, that goes uh, into this a little bit more. Uh, the hockey sense is not just that, you know, 
gifted intuition that you're just born with. There's some of that, but there's also just a very real way to build this hockey sense. And so, so coaches oftentimes are, are encouraged to put people through exercises that build up this, this preemptive anticipation, you know, uh, uh, moving the right way in the, in the right moment, uh, whatever the situation or, or circumstance comes up. Well, I think that, that applies here uh, quite a bit. The Psalms are giving us some of this. It doesn't only apply to hockey, obviously, as I'm saying, the Psalms take us there. I think one of the places I've seen this happen here and be encouraged, uh, Stonebridge, is with your elders. I was in an elder interview, and, um, and a question, you know, the icebreaker was thrown out at the very beginning of the elder interview. Uh, what's your favorite part about being a, an elder here? And I'm not sure if that was, you know, on the fly. It seemed a bit on the fly of a question for, for, for an icebreaker. Uh, and uh, an elder Scott, he, uh, he leads off with little to no heads up, and he says, one of my favorite things here is that I get to be with the sheep. I get to get to be with the people so much. That's, that's elder sense. That's shepherding sense, uh, and you get, that, you get that there. We move on, and I'm like, well, that check. This is great. Uh, we move on to, to Doug, and I'm like, okay, surely this is going to go terrible. No, I'm not. I'm joking. I was, uh, he, 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 he says, you know what? I, I love these, these long discussions in the study in the scriptures with my brothers here. And I'm just like, okay, here we go. We got some elder sense here, some shepherd sense. So be encouraged. These are the people that are, that are, that are caring for you. We go around the whole room, and it's all uh, to that same level there. Uh, but for the sake of time, those are just two. The first two out of the gate said we've got some kind of sense here. I want to talk a little bit more about maybe a Christian sense. How do we navigate our day? How do we navigate our, our weeks just as, as Christians? Um, because I, I think that the Bible has a whole lot to tell us about this. Psalm 1, for sure, gives a, gets us into this. And, and, uh, and, and I won't be, you know, hide it for you. I just want to get it right out there for you. The urge that Psalm 1 is going to give us is that we are to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. Meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. These are the exercises that build up our Christian sense. How to act in a Christ-like way in any situation. Uh, maybe an easier way to say this for you to remember is meditate on Christ always. Meditate on Christ always. So let's go through this uh, together. Let's meditate on this uh, a bit um, for, the, for the next while. Uh, the structure, if you're a note taker, I know that there are many note takers uh, out there. The reality of our journey is going to be point one. The reality of our journey. Our second point will be the secret of the righteous and our third point is the meditation of our hearts. Uh, those will be on the screen here as we, as we work our way through this. So point one, the reality of our journey. The reality of our journey is that there are actually only two ways to live. That's what Psalm 1 is pointing out to us. Uh, and it's pointing it out in, in that we, we don't get to decide really this. I think this is one of those things that the Bible just says, hey, I'm going to do you a favor. Don't try and think that there are many ways to Christ, don't, uh, that there are many ways to eternity, that there are many ways to uh, God. I'm just going to name this for you. There are only two ways, a righteous way and a wicked way. That's it. That's all there is. And so when we come to the text, uh, the question that we ask should not be, uh, how many ways are there in this life? Uh, the more appropriate question for us as pilgrims on the way is, why should I even care about choosing either of these ways? Why should I even take a step forward on one of these paths? Why should I even care about this Jesus stuff? Why is the Bible worth my time? These are good questions that, let's be honest, we probably ask. And the Bible is going to tell us that there's a reason. It's because your fate, <laughs> but not simply your fate, uh, what, what, what lies ahead, but what lies ahead is really going to be, uh, is going to be uh, intricately interwoven 
with everything you do every day. I think sometimes we think I could just do whatever I want and then we'll just let it all pan out and we'll find out if I had enough good or bad. What Psalm 1 is really pushing us to is to name our end. Name that end, which is that blessed life, that righteousness, that way of Christ that delights in the law of the Lord. And when we name that end, then we measure our steps accordingly. We know where we're going, and every step and every attitude and every decision and every emotion is then measured to Christ and that end. And so that's where we are invited to. Okay, I've set it up quite a bit here. I want to I look into the text here. As we look through the text, um, we're going to enter into what we would call, in the Psalms, we, this is Hebrew poetry. Now, Hebrew poetry, here's just a little bit for Bible readers to help you as you continue reading the Bible. Uh, Hebrew poetry does not work uh, like Dr. Seuss. It's not based on rhyme and rhythm. So, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da, you know, I don't know, whatever, uh, head, I guess I used that in the first service. Head, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, we got to rhyme it, let's go with bed. You know, something like that. So you don't rhyme it that way. So if you go through here, you're not going to find a bunch of rhymes. It does this thing called parallelism. Uh, So it takes one idea or one line of Scripture, and then it takes another idea or one line of Scripture, and it kind of rubs them together, and it sees what compares and what contrasts. That's how you read Hebrew poetry. And so I'm going to do that and show you some of those examples of how, how these lines pull out deeper truths. Because this is wisdom literature, it's going to make us sit and think a little bit more and try to understand what the words mean. It's not going to be a, a how-to in, in the sense that you just read the instruction and then follow. You have to sit in it. You have to meditate on it, possibly day and night. And so let's look at some of this. Uh, it's going to, it's going to uh, uh, illustrate this two-fold way, the way of righteousness, the way of, of wickedness. So verse 3, we're going to see that the blessed man does not do this. He does not walk. He does not stand. He does not sit. Uh, in these kind of things. One of the things it says here, though, is it says the righteous does not stand in the way of sinners. That's there in verse, uh, in verse 1. But then it goes on uh, there in verse 5, is that the wicked does not stand in the congregation of the righteous. There's a lot of standing going on. That's a comparison. The righteous is standing, uh, is not standing in the way of sinners, and the wicked is not standing in the way of the righteous. And so we see the righteous and standing, those are comparisons, but then we see that a word is changed in each one of these lines. In the one one spot, righteous don't stand with sinners, and in the second line, the, the wicked don't stand with the righteous. So it makes us sit in here and think, what makes them righteous? It has something to do, this wickedness and this sinning has something to do with itself. That the wicked are those who are sinners, but have not been made righteous by Jesus Christ. This is going to affect their, their lives. This is going to affect the trajectory of where they go. So this is just one comparison. Let's look at some more of these, uh, this poetry as it, as it pulls out this idea of the twofold, the two ways to live. The righteous, we read, is like a tree that is planted. And then we get this huge, lengthy uh, picture of the glory and blessedness of the righteous. It's like a tree. It's yielding. It's, it's abundant. It does not wither, it prospers. And then we read the line, but the wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. And we get this robustness of the righteous. And then we get this, just floats away in the wind of the wicked. A a contrast, a huge contrast. I'll do one more here because I think the point's getting made a bit. Uh, The righteous prospers. We read that, the righteous prospers. And this isn't prosper that's like if you have faith, 
then God's going to dump a, a bucket of prosperity on you. That's not the kind of uh, righteousness that we're talking about, or prospering that we're talking about. The righteous prosper because he meditates on the law of the Lord, which aligns his heart to the will of God. And when you and I are aligned to the will of God in every one of our steps, in every one of our thoughts, and we think that way, there is great prosperity and blessedness in this life. And so the righteous prospers. But the wicked, they don't do this. They're not aligned to the will of God. They're not interested in the will of God. They're walking a different path than the will of God. And the wicked perishes. That's the last line there. The wicked perish. Not because God is disgusted that they have scoffed or that they have sinned or that they have done any of those things. It's not on that. It's the fact that he doesn't know them. It says, I'm walking over here on the way to the blessed life, on the way of righteousness, and you have chosen not to walk with me. And so the sinners or the wicked perish because they have refused to walk alongside God. And God says to them, we didn't walk together. I never knew you away from me. And so this is why. I'm, ask, I'm asking the question, why, do I, why should I even care? Because it matters a lot for where you are going. It matters a lot for the end. And sometimes we think as Christians that I can come to church on Sunday and I can think heaven, hell. Okay, and now we check out and we move on and we don't think about every day and every step we're taking there. Those need to be in line with where we're going. But we're not left without anything. God doesn't just say, hey guys, you need to like, mind your actions today. He gives us a beautiful way to get there. So I want to ask this question now, if, if it's so important that my, my actions matter in light of the faith that I have, of the reality that there will be eternal blessedness with Christ, then how do I go that way? Maybe a better way to ask is, what's the secret sauce of the righteous? So here it is. It's in verse 2. The secret of the righteous and the righteous way is, is twofold. It says, one, he delights in the law of the Lord. He delights in the law of the Lord. There's it. And then two, he meditates on it day and night. He delights in it, and he meditates on the law of the Lord. So I'm going to throw up a, 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 what is it, a definition that I've got, um, a definition here of discipleship. There are many ways that we can talk about discipleship. Uh, I think as Psalm 1 is really uh, affecting me and how I might define discipleship uh, right now, uh, it looks a lot like this. Discipleship is an ongoing process of learning the faculties necessary for Christ-like virtue. I understand that that is a mouthful, um, but I'm a preacher, so I, I'm going to expound on it for you. Um, so uh, discipleship uh, is, this, uh, is this ongoing process. You are always becoming a disciple. You are being discipled. Uh, oftentimes, we don't choose the Bible. We don't choose Christ. We choose anything and everything that we read or see or hear, uh, and that is actually discipling us, and it's making us into a certain kind of disciple. If you're a sports fan, at some level, you are being discipled into sports fandom of that team. If you are uh, drinking deeply of the waters of, of, of Scripture, you are being discipled into a Christian uh, disciple. And so we're always being discipled somehow. And, and what we are doing is we are, uh, it's an ongoing process of learning uh, all these, the faculties necessary for Christian virtue. We are learning Christ. But I don't want to just leave it at we are learning Christ because that's a little bit abstract. We are learning the way that Christ feels, the way that Christ thinks. We are learning those mechanisms that make up who Christ is so that when we walk along the way, we do so how Jesus did. 
And so when we meditate on the law of the Lord, we're not learning how to act like a Christian. We're learning how to be like Christ so that we walk like Christ. And that's a big part of this. Uh, Let me explain it uh, maybe a little bit differently. Discipleship is growing our mental, emotional, and spiritual senses. We have a hockey sense. We also have a Christian spiritual sense. It's as though we take wisdom and we put it into action. And we do this so that we naturally walk in the way of Christ at every twist and turn in life. Uh, One way to think of this is maybe going to the gym. Uh, We go to the gym to, uh, well, I don't go to the gym. I mean, definitely not a gym goer here. You can tell that one. Um, But uh, you go to the gym and you lift weights. Uh, And what are you doing when you lift weights? You're picking a certain, you know, uh, uh, muscle and you're working on it so that it gets stronger. That's kind of like what's happening when we read the Bible. We're we're exercising uh, our, our spiritual muscles so that when we go back into life, we go back into our world, we might have those virtues of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, and we might be stronger at those. It might come more naturally to be patient. It might become more naturally to be hospitable. It might become more natural to lovingly listen to another. The gymnasium of our souls is meditating on the law of the Lord. Because in doing so, we learn, we calibrate, we strengthen our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, which seems to be very important for loving God and loving others. But it's a little more than simply spiritual weightlifting. Uh, famous Puritan preacher Thomas Watson, uh, he, he wrote a, a little essay, it's an excellent essay, you can find it online, called A Treatise Concerning Meditation. I've drawn from that a little bit, you'll hear him some more uh, in this sermon because it's just a, a fantastic uh, little meditation there. And he says, uh, he says here, this is what meditation is to him. He said, meditation is the soul's retiring of itself that by a serious and solemn thinking upon God, the heart may be raised up to heavenly affections. That's very Puritan language there. So uh, uh, what does he mean there? He says that, that it is a, uh, that meditation is the soul's retiring of itself. It's stepping outside of your busy, stepping outside of you. Take a deep breath and focus on the things of God. And in doing so, you are doing that for the purpose that your will might be aligned to God's will. And that your heart might be aligned in delighting to do that. And then you can go drop back into you're busy. But meditation is stepping out, looking into God, and figuring out what his will is and how you might delight in it. Meditation, uh, in one sense, is stepping out of the game, watching game film, hitting the weight room, working through the play routes, uh, the plays, the routes, the formations, and assessing your spot in the season. You're going to work out. Football teams do this all the time. Football teams, they work out in a certain way. They run plays in a certain way with a mind on what's next on, the, on, on game day. And we do that as well. Like, we don't think we do that. We do that as well, especially when we go to the word in meditation. You might be in a season of, uh, of lament, a season of grief, a season of, uh, uh, you know, honestly, just spiritual dryness. You might be in a season of, of frustration or anger or something, uh, something in your life, uh, some, some relationship, something there is, is, is off. Maybe everything's just going really well. Maybe you're in a season of joy and celebration. 
In any of these, we can go to the word of God and meditate on it because it calibrates our hearts to his will so that we might go through each one of these seasons that we have, whatever it is, and do so virtuously and faithfully. As we develop these faculties of Christ-likeness, these Christ-like virtues, we find that the decisions and actions of life become less difficult. They don't become easy, they just become less difficult. Difficulties in life, I believe, are the threshold of virtues. Uh, What do I mean by that? Um, uh, Difficulties in life. Marriage is a wonderful thing, and then you have that first month of marriage, which you get the whole rundown of all the virtues you don't have. You realize that you don't have. This happened to me. Um, so in our first year of marriage, it was our first month, first year of marriage. Uh, it's just, just wonderful. But God had convicted me that I was just a pretty terrible listener, active listener. Uh, I didn't measure my words very well before I spoke. Um, and, uh, and I was very impatient. I think those are three. I mean, there's a whole bucket there, and I'm not sure how much further down the tracks I've gotten on those. But those were right in my face really fast. And so for me, I said, hey, you know what? If we're in the weight room, I'm maxing out. I don't have the virtue to get past these. I got to work on these. So I open up the book of Proverbs. And the Lord, in his sweetness, as I meditate on it, just said, hey, Josh, you just got to be quiet and prayerfully listen to people, especially your wife. I mean, that was the first year of marriage reading through the book of Proverbs just wrecked me. I feel like I have increased in virtue with, uh, with, with, with listening, prayerfully, with patience, with measuring my words. Now, I, I've got a long ways to go. You can ask Stacy. I've got a long ways to go on these things. But the virtue, but the, but the goal is the progress. And this is what happens when we meditate on the law of the Lord. And so we can approach our difficulties not as just big overwhelming problems or signs that we're wayward believers. We can approach them. That, that, might, be, that might be a true. That might be a thing. But we also can approach them and say, what am I learning, God? How is it exposing how I need to be like Christ? I mean, uh, James, uh, in James 1, he says, count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be, be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The decisions and actions of life become less difficult. Why? They become less difficult because, of the, uh, because regardless of the storms of life that beat against us, the righteous are planted deeply in the fertile and nourishing soil of God's word. And being planted in these streams of water, or being planted near the streams of water, the righteous bear fruit and do not wither. I'm going to slow that one down because that image is so big. Now, if you're a kid and you're, you're drawing pictures or if you're, you know, an adult and you're a kid at heart, you can draw pictures too. Um, a picture, I mean, just so great if you, if you have that in front of you, is a tree next to a stream with its roots going into that stream. That's the picture we need. That is the secret sauce of the righteous. Because he says, we are planted. So you are the tree, if you, if you didn't get that, you are the tree, and your roots are planted in the stream, which is the word of God, the law of the Lord. And so when you are in there, there is, there is nothing, there is no storm that can, that can toss you. There is no derecho that can make you tip over. <laughs> there is nothing that can get you because you will, what does it say? You will not simply bear fruit, 
you will not wither. There is life in this water. And I love that it ends here, uh, uh, that it says, um, and its leaf does not wither, wither there in verse 3. Because I feel like at, th- at this point in 2020, um, I, I would usually be inclined to say, hey, we're at the end of the year. We're going to celebrate all the things that God has done, and we're going to charge into the next year, and we're just going to conquer this thing, and Christian triumphalism just kind of all over the place. And this is great. Take it in the name of the Lord. But i got to be honest, after 2020, I think most of us are saying, I just don't want to wither. I'm not thinking about conquering. I just don't want to die. And in God's kindness, he gives us verse 3. And he says, even if you think you're just going to die, Dig in. Dig in. He can feed you. You won't die. He has life-giving water, even if you just don't die. So, discipleship is an ongoing process of learning the virtues of Christ. And so if it is learning the virtues of Christ, where is Christ in Psalm 1? I think uh, we we see that that Jesus, when we meditate on it, we see that Jesus is the point, the pattern of our faith. He is right here and all over here. So let's look at this. Jesus is the law that we meditate on. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law that we meditate on. When we read our Old Testament law and prophets, we find that we are learning more about who Jesus is and what he does for us. And Jesus explains this. I'm not just saying that to sound good and make you read your Old Testament. Jesus says this himself. Matthew 5, 17, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Not just in the images of, you know, a suffering servant or a branch from the root of Jesse. I have come to actually fulfill the requirements of the law. Now, what is that? The wages of sin is death. There are many verses in the New Testament that show us that Jesus was right, that he did come to fulfill the requirements of the law himself. Uh, One of those is in Colossians 2. You can read it on the screen. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. You might be in a tough season, and the brokenness of the world is around you, and it makes you feel like you are withering. You actually might be withering because you stopped drinking from Christ, and this is due consequences of your sin. This is just the natural repercussion of your sin. But you need to know that Jesus is the fulfiller of the law that we meditate on. He has made a way for salvation. Your sins don't have to kill you. You can give it to God in faith. God, forgive me. I have sinned. That seems pretty easy, but it is so difficult to actually mean and say. But it is so life-giving and nourishing to acknowledge. But it's not that Jesus is just the fulfiller of, our, of the law, he actually gives us the right example of the way to live. I mean, we read all over the Psalms this, this twofold wickedness uh, and, and righteousness. We, we, we try and figure out what is the way of blessedness, and we have it all over. Um, 
Psalm 1 here. Blessed is the man who does not walk uh, this way or stand this way or sit this way, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. This is actually Jesus. Like, Jesus is this person. We don't have simply a high priest who says, I'm just going to atone for your sin by offering sacrifices, which Jesus did. He also says, I'm also this guy who just follow everything I did because I provided you the example to not have to go back there again and ask for forgiveness of sin. That was a big explanation of what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4. Verse 15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. A few years ago, I was at a uh, Simeon Trust. It's like a preaching, um, uh, a preaching workshop. And one of, the, uh, one of my group leaders, my breakout leader, was David Helm. Uh, and it was such a sweet thing to sit under his, uh, his teaching, his counsel uh, there. Uh, but at one point, he said, uh, the point that I'm, I'm making here is, uh, he said, Jesus is the point and the pattern of every text. Jesus is the point and the pattern of your faith. And that's exactly what I've just presented here to you, is, is where is Jesus in this? He's the point of Psalm 1, in that he is the fulfiller of the law. When we delight in the law of the Lord, we delight in Jesus Christ and who he is. But he's also the pattern, because it doesn't just answer a question, he also shows us the way to live. He says, if you believe in me, there's your destination, forgiven, salvation, eternally but I'm also going to show you the way there. Now, his disciples were pretty confused when he explained this. Jesus explained this quite a bit. At one, one time, he's sitting down with, um, at least with Thomas